This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Good morning, I'm Shazana Mokhtar and this is the best of The Breakfast Grill. This week, we're revisiting interesting and important conversations that we've had on the show throughout the year. Today, we're reviewing some of the key political developments that took place in 2023. The Cabinet of the Unity Government, led by the 10th Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, was sworn in on December 10, 2022, and they hit the ground running in the new year to signal intended policy reforms across different economic sectors. Fahmi Fadil, the Minister of Communications and Digital, was the first Breakfast Grill guest of 2023, where he elaborated on his policy priorities, including digitalization, cybersecurity and tackling misinformation. I also asked Fahmi about the government's review of the national 5G rollout and what this means for digital infrastructure development. One of the first major announcements by Prime Minister Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim was the decision to review Malaysia's 5G rollout plans because, according to him, the policy wasn't carried out in a transparent manner. Can you detail for me what exactly is under review and what the key concerns are? A lot of the concerns, of course, uh, is not only about whether it's contractual obligations, which prior to this, the Minister of Finance did not have full horizon visibility Right of the contractual obligations, uh, whether it's about Ericsson, a uh, number of the other contracts. Yeah, that that uh, I believe there's 145 contracts that DNB has signed. More than that, it's also about the the speed of rollout. Yeah, uh, and I have to rely on MCMC. And as of um, 30th of November, um, the achievement is about 73.2 percent uh, of the total um, that. MCMC has, has informed me. So mm-hmm. DNB was supposed to roll out 3,518 um, towers, but as of 30th November 2022, there were 2,575 that were um, successfully uh, put in okay. compared to the forecast given by DNB that as of 30th of November 2022, they would have reached 97.58% or 3,433 towers. So there was a shortfall of nearly some 900 towers. What's important to note is that it's not only sufficient that um, towers equipped with 5G radios and equipment is is put up, but one of the key um, aspects of 5G would be fibre. Yeah, so uh, as of 30th of November, I was informed that MCMC, based on what they have seen, about 87% of the 5G towers are fiberized. So that means if people have been complaining that, yeah, we have 5G, but it's still only about 30, 40 Mbps, not the, you know, 100, 200, whatever that's been touted, a lot of it might be because where they are, um, the towers are not fiberized yet. So that's why when we talk about 5G, it's not only about the, the whether it's, you know, the, 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 the contracts or... It's also about rollout speed. It's also about um, uh, the towers that need to be fiberized. So, so it's, okay. it's quite a few things. That was the then Minister of Communication and Digital, Fahmi Fadil. More recently, on 12 December, the Prime Minister announced a cabinet reshuffle which split the communication and digital portfolio into two separate ministries. Fahmi continues as the Minister of Communication, while Damansara MP Gobin Singh Dio was appointed as the new digital minister. 
The implications of this restructuring for Malaysia's 5G rollout has yet to be clarified, as the status of Digital National Berhad remains undecided as of 26 December. Turning to the issue of transportation, the return of Anthony Lok to the role of transport minister under the unity government was largely welcomed by the public and industry stakeholders. Wong Xiaoning spoke to him on the breakfast grill in June to discuss what's being done to strengthen transportation infrastructure and the reliability of public transport services. This year alone, more than 112 million rides were taken on our urban trains and buses in KL, Penang and Kuantan, which implies that significant numbers rely on public transport. But yet we know that it is a service that needs improvement. We see complaints of trains frequently breaking down, infrequent bus and train services, overcrowded platforms, and I could just continue. But really, can we also expect improvement for all the services I mentioned? We know uh, these issues uh, must be addressed. Yes. And one of the things that uh, I focused on was uh, to push Prasarana to give more attention on uh, uh, maintenance. And uh, a lot of focus are being uh, put on maintenance. And we have introduced a new KPI, mm. MKBF, uh, mean kilometer uh, between failures, to track on uh, how good uh, we are or how bad we are. Okay. So right now, of course, that, that focus is, uh, is on, on the top. Mm. And I, I want to make it public. That's why I asked Prasarana, you have to uh, publish the data every week. Mm. Okay. In terms of ridership, in terms of uh, some of the issues, you have to be uh, every week. They have to update their website every week. And in terms of their performance of MKBF is uh, every month. Okay, but uh, Anthony, we do know that Prasarana, I think, is going to receive $2.8 billion, right, from the government and also, well, be it Ministry of Finance and Transport to replace all these ageing equipment. But are we just putting on a band-aid when really surgery is needed? I mean, do we need to do more to, to ensure that there are no serious accidents, that there will be no breakdowns? Uh, of course, funds is important. Funds is a big challenge. But mm. uh, uh, Ministry of Finance has actually... Uh, proof in terms of funding uh, for Prasarana, in terms of uh, the uh, credit facilities are prepared for Prasarana. So the focus must be on uh, the good maintenance culture. That is something that I have uh, uh, emphasized on them. Okay. And they're doing that right now. So hopefully right now by the third quarter, because there are new trains uh, adding into the Kalanajaya line. That will help in terms of uh, easing some of the congestions and to uh, increase the frequency. Uh, that is being done right now. And for other lines, we have to also uh, focus on maintenance. You, you can't guarantee there is no fa- no failure at for all. For sure, for yeah, sure. That's for sure. But how to minimize it? Mm. How to how to prevent it? Mm. So in the past, it's more reactive. So you have an issue, you have to address that issue. But what we are putting in right now is a very strict regime that you have to be preventive. So what are the components that you have to uh, repair? What are the components or the spare parts that you have to replace? That must be according to the schedule. That was Minister of Transport Anthony Lok speaking to Wong Xiaoning in June. One of the critical achievements of the unity government is the abolishment of the mandatory death penalty for 11 offences, including drug trafficking and illegal firearms possession, which took effect in July 2023. This potentially saves the lives of over 1,300 individuals who are on death row, among them 842 prisoners who have run out of all legal options. In March, I asked the then Deputy Minister for Law and Institutional Reform, Ram Karpal Singh, 
whether Malaysia could consider abolishing the death penalty completely. I want to focus on specific reform initiatives at the moment. So let us start off with the decision to abolish the mandatory death penalty. This is something that the government is continuing from the previous administration, something that Pakatan Harapan has championed from the very beginning since 2018. It's been lauded by activists and the international community alike. But why not abolish the death penalty in totality? Why limit it to just the mandatory death penalty? Why is this arguably cruel and inhumane form of punishment being maintained in our statute books? Well, I think uh, you are absolutely right in saying that, uh, you know, the uh, abolition is something that ought to be considered, perhaps, because uh, I think uh, many countries in the world have uh, moved towards that direction. Ours is a partial abolish uh, abolition, which is uh, just the uh, mandatory part of the death penalty. I, I think uh, the reason for that is that at this stage, perhaps, uh, I think uh, we need to educate the public a bit more as to why uh, it ought perhaps uh, in the future uh, it might uh, it ought to perhaps be a total abolition but at this stage perhaps uh, uh, we are not uh, ready for it at this stage mm-hmm. but uh, i think uh, it's the uh, a start would be uh, abolishing it partially uh, the mandatory part at least so mm-hmm. When you say we're not ready for it, in what ways are we not ready for it? Is this coming from, uh, I suppose, the public or is it coming from um, political figures? Where is the pushback towards an abolition of the death penalty coming from? Well, I mean, uh, of course, there are many uh, people or parties who are pro-total abolish abolition. And I, I we have heard them and I think uh, they have given us very uh, uh, good, compelling views uh, uh, and certainly, like I said, uh, it is something which uh, is not ex- has not been excluded, uh, something which we will consider uh, in the next uh, phase, uh, few uh, stages of uh, this uh, issue. Uh, but at this stage, I think uh, we, we have uh, focused on uh, the mandatory part. And uh, like you said, uh, pointed out correctly earlier, this is uh, an initiative that, w- that began in the earlier PH rule. Uh, in 2018, of course, there's been quite a few, a lot of fine tuning uh, in between uh, until now. And so I think we are now ready to uh, present uh, that uh, that bill in parliament. That was Ram Karpa Singh, who held the role of Deputy Minister for Law and Institutional Reform until 12 December this year, when he stepped down during the cabinet reshuffle. We'll have more highlights from conversations on The Breakfast Grill in 2023 after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. Welcome back to the Best of the Breakfast Grill 2023 Politics Edition. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Today, we're revisiting conversations on Malaysian politics throughout the year. The six state elections for Kelantan, Trunganu, Kedah, Penang, Selangor and Negeri Sembilan were held on August 12th and were widely viewed as a referendum on the unity government, specifically the collaboration between Pakatan Harapan and Barisan National. Before polling day, Wong Shaoning asked caretaker Menteri Besa of Selangor, Datuk Sri Amiruddin Shari, about the challenges of the two erstwhile rivals working together in the state elections. Can Pakatan Harapan really work with AMNO at the grassroots levels? I mean, at the federal level, mm. you can see ministers all getting along, playing mm. nice, smile mm. for the cameras. Yeah. But we're talking about on the ground. Can yeah. Pakatan Harapan loyal supporters campaign 
with UMNO have joined Charamas, encouraged their voter base to yeah. turn up as a team. Can you even convince UMNO supporters to champion and believe the Pakatan Harapan slogan of Kita Selangor? As in grassroots level, our leadership can work together so far. We are, have a very good relationship before too, mm. even though that we are rival in the politics, but they are communicate and they are engage each others. Normally, they are not just a political leaders. They are also a social and community leaders, as KRT, as a most uh, chairman and so on and so forth. So, I guess uh, the new spirit of unity uh, after GA15 is the main uh, idea that we have to spark the discussion and engagement. And as now, uh, from a few events that I attended for the past two weeks. Yes. Uh, the numbers of uh, leader Amno, the grassroots Amno leader are joined our our event too. So I think that's a good uh, signal, uh, even though that maybe uh, public or, or people who are not joining people not 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 in, not really in politics are still uh, quite uh, cynical or maybe uh, skeptical that we are can become a one good coalitions. How do you win the hearts and minds of people? Of course our past 15 years experience and performance in the state of Selangor, mm. we show that we managed to grow the state in economics and in the same time that we managed to deliver and distribute uh, the wealth to the publics and to the citizens of Selangor. Of course, uh, our program like Jelajah Isan, we sell the cheap price for chicken, for eggs, mm. for cooking oils and so on. And then it it, it runs since September last year. And uh, from 50 to 60 million that we spend, it touch, we believe it touch around 4 million people of Selangor because the number of people who are visiting our, our booth is is around 1 million people, so we time four. It's okay. easily that we run 4 million people. And it goes around from north to south, from rural area to urban area, and the numbers of respondents are very good. It shows how our efforts to manage and handle and try to take care of the peoples, even though while the price of goods increase for the past one year. That was Wang Xiaoning speaking to caretaker Selangor Menteri Besar Datuk Sri Amiruddin Shari, who was reappointed as Menteri Besar for a second term, although his coalition state assembly majority was eroded. Ultimately, the state elections resulted in a tie between Perikatan National and the Unity Government Coalition, both winning three states each. We analysed the takeaways from the state polls, including how Perikatan National managed to make inroads into Selangor with Dr. Ong Kian Ming, Director at Taylor's University, and Datuk Dr. Marzuki Muhammad, Associate Professor at the International Islamic University, Malaysia. Dr. Marzuki, what do you think are the factors um, that voters were deciding on in Selangor? Were they purely voting on party? Were they voting on um, the leader? Were they voting on issues? What is it that um, decided them? I think there are two uh, fundamental issues. Number one is about identity politics, that people also vote along a uh, racial line. Right? So we can see that here, the Malays, uh, they are more inclined to vote for Perikatan National, but the Malays are more inclined to vote for Pakatan Harapan. Uh, that's number one. Number two is also about cost of living. It's about economic issues. Uh, we found that um, many, especially among the Malays, you know, they um, they don't see the government is doing what uh, it should be doing uh, in terms of addressing uh, the rising uh, cost of living. 
and uh, most of them are you know B40s you know so they express their you know dissatisfaction through the ballot box yeah you want to add a bit to that uh, i think one factor that cannot be ignored is the fact that uh, many amno supporters bn supporters uh, especially malay supporters felt hesitant to vote for ph as well as bn uh, because of the cooperation between amno and the dap i think that is a elephant in the room uh, needs to be discussed uh, and i think uh, you know my party dap probably needs to do a lot more in terms of giving uh, more assurance to the malay voters that uh, you know dap is an inclusive party that can bring uh, value added Uh, policies to the table that will benefit all segments of society, including and especially the Malay uh, population. And I think we have not reached that threshold in terms of being able to convince a majority of Malay voters. That was Dr. Ong Kian Ming of DAP and Taylor's University and Datuk Dr. Marzuki Muhammad of Bursatu and the UIA commenting on the outcome of the state elections in August. While other parties were finding political equilibrium, one party that failed to shine this year was Muda. Despite contesting 19 seats in the state elections, all the Muda candidates lost their deposits. Moreover, the party withdrew from the unity government in September due to dissatisfaction over the abrupt suspension of Datuk Sri Ahmad Zaid Hamidi's corruption trial. In the aftermath of the September decision, Syed Sadiq Abdul Rahman, the president of Muda, spoke to Philip C about the challenges of maintaining the party's relevance and survival in Malaysia's political landscape. Can you build up the platform fast enough to sizably, you know, take a larger share or even win more seats? I mean, you didn't win any seats. Mm. You know, 15% of the funding you raised was back mm. to paying deposits. Mm. I think that I think it's a lesson learned here, right? Yeah. How do you scale up your membership growth fast because the question here is I feel that in this country the political system is structured as you said binary yeah. that people don't contemplate this idea of a third alternative okay to me the messaging is most important why you talk about membership amno has the largest membership base but yet they are one of the smallest parties in terms of mainstream party size is a matter yeah dap in terms mm. of membership is one of the lowest yet they are the largest in parliament yeah but it's about messaging it's about building public trust with the average malaysian and being viciously consistent on that and even while there are compromises you don't compromise on the main central message so i think that matters a lot and then organizational discipline for the next 4 years yeah i think moving ahead we definitely have to scale up very quickly but it's about identification of leaders getting them on the front lines every day and getting our stances out every day and at the same time training our members the average member to always uh, be prepared to either be as candidates or election machinery but more importantly to keep on talking about the consistent party messaging mm. um uh, and for myself is to ensure that i can build this good uh, organization to sustain for the next four years Okay, you're alone. You're a lone ranger in parliament. Yeah. I want to know what are your priorities in the next three years, assuming this government. Um, I think the government has uh, fallen back a lot on its reform agenda. I'm not talking about uh, breaking new grounds. I'm talking about basic things which have already been agreed upon. For example, uh, equal allocations to all parliament, regardless whether they're in government or opposition. Uh, Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri, to his credit, gave equal allocations, 3.8 million to all. Uh, MPs because the money is audited and goes straight to the constituent schools uh, the underprivileged but today it's 3.8 million to 0 ringgit malaysia asset declarations i mean it was done previously from 2018 and carried out by the uh, other governments but yet today i mean it's been postponed postponed and postponed I do not know how many times you want to blame Amno for everything. That was Said Sadiq Said Abdul Rahman, former president of Muda and MP for Muar. Said Sadiq resigned as Muda president in November 
after he was convicted of corruption charges by the High Court. He is appealing the court decision. November 24th marked the one-year anniversary of the unity government under the leadership of PM10 Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim. Evaluations of the government's performance showed a wide range of opinions. We took stock of what was achieved in the administration's first year and the gaps that remained with Elizabeth Wong, former State Assemblywoman for Bukit Lanjan, and Sharil Hamdan, former Omno Information Chief. Sharil, in a commentary back in August, you said that the Prime Minister should focus less on photo ops and antagonizing the opposition and in instead emphasize on the reform agenda, specifically on the economy. Do you think that uh, this is due to political expediency in that there is a need to shore up political support before administering the economic therapies that may prove painful in the short term at least? To begin with, one has to ask oneself, what is the expectation? If one expected that this was going to be a functional government with some green shoots of, um, of good things, then yes, he's done okay. But if expectations are a lot higher than that, and by the way, I think they are a lot higher than that in part because he really sold that expectations to be a lot higher than that, then that begins to explain the fall in the popularity and that begins to explain the dissatisfaction or, or, or the defeated expectations that people feel. I would contest the notion that political stability is in question because I think, look, he's got two-thirds majority. Um, it may serve the narrative to say that, oh, we're always on edge, we're always on edge, and that's why give me more time. But in reality, the numbers are there. Mm. You've just had, what, four people who switch over to give support? I don't know. Maybe it's four and counting. Uh, you have a, a situation in Amno where one of the biggest rivals in the last decades is now your friend uh, and quite happy to be a second fiddle. You have partners in Pakatan Harapan who stay loyal and have never been in question. You have an opposition that, look, um, you know, for all their, their luster in, in, in social media, will not win over the middle ground. So what is there to be worried about? I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, like, you know, not so clear as to why there isn't as much, uh, you know, gusto okay. in the reforms. So do you think that uh, Anwar Ibrahim has managed to really build a cohesive unity government? Well, Rome isn't built in a day or a year. So although, of course, I know what Cheryl said, it looks stable. You have the numbers, you have different parties uh, coming together. But let's all remember, this is the first time the different parties are working together. It's the first time Pakatan, Harapan, Kaadilan, DAP is sitting down on the same table with AMNO, uh, with parties, uh, you know, GPS, GRS, so on and so forth. So it's not exactly that easy. Not as easy as people think. You know, it's like not coming together, you know, coming together and, you know, holding hands. It doesn't work that way. So each party, they've got different principles, competing interests. So I think for Anwar Ibrahim to come, to get everyone together and agree on a certain agenda, it takes a certain skill. So I, I think he's, if you look at what's been going on for the past one year, he's been trying his best. And I think after this one year, the next Sec, perhaps the second and third year, he, he will he will find it a little bit easier. Consensus have you know has to be built between all parties. This is not a one man show. This is not a one party government. Uh, you know everyone has to come to the table on issues. That was Elizabeth Wong, former state assemblyman for Bukit Lanjan, and Sharil Hamdan, former Amno Information Chief. That caps our retrospective of interviews on Malaysian politics in 2023. You can listen to all the conversations featured today via podcast on the BFM app or on our website, bfm.my. This has been the Best of the Breakfast Grill 2023, BFM 89.9.
The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.